All right. Let's get into the Word. Amen? All right. Today's Word is titled Untamable. Untamable. So let me start off with a story. There was once um, an evening social event, a, uh, a gala, a sort of gala on a military base, and it was, this, it was just for Army officers, and, and, and yes, they're Army, because, you know, if it was Marines, the story would end differently, but <laughs> Army officers and their wives, right? What the purpose was, they were the commanding general of the base was receiving an award, some, an honor. You know, they were honoring him, right? And so, he, you know, he goes up to the stage to receive his award, this commanding general, and he begins to give this long speech. I want to thank so-and-so and the unit and the, the soldiers of this place and, and the soldiers of that. He goes down the list, and there's a young lieutenant that's sitting at the table, and he's restless, you know, you know. And if you guys know, lieutenant is the first rank of officers. It's the very bottom. General is the highest. And so he's listening to the general, and he's kind of, you know, restless. And he leans over to this woman sitting next to him. And he says, he says, I don't know why they would award this guy a prize, an award is beyond me. He's nothing but a stupid old windbag. And the woman turned to him, and her jaw dropped. And she goes, excuse me? Lieutenant, do you know who I am? And he says, no. Who are you? I'm the wife of that stupid old windbag. And he like, was like shocked, and he's like, oh, no. Um, and he started to, to think of what he was going to do. And uh, he decides... He leans back over. He goes, ma'am? She goes, yes. Do you know who I am? She goes, no. And he said, great, as he disappeared into the crowd. <laughs> the funny thing is that things like this actually happen. That we can't hide because our uniforms, our, our fatigues, they have our name on it, right? And they can kind of track you down. And I remember, you know, uh, when guys would kind of, almost get in trouble, they kind of walk around like, oh, you know, like this, so that you wouldn't see the name, and you wouldn't see the name, or the rank, right, you try to take it off, but when you're in the dress uniforms, you don't have any, you know, usually there's no name, and they have just the symbols, so he got away with that one. Our tongue can truly get us in trouble at times. Does anybody know that? Are we aware that our tongue has the capability <laughs> to get us in trouble? So far in our study of James, we have seen that it is not good for us to just keep hearing the Word of God, that we need to be doers of God's Word. We learned that uh, we should have joy through the trials, right? We learned that we should be enduring and persevering through temptation. We learned that we should be controlling our anger. We learned that we should be living out an impartial faith. And we talked about impartial faith, meaning no favoritism and things like that. And today, uh, yeah, last week we learned about having, uh, not wanting dead faith, but that we should have a faith where we're living out our active faith in such a way in the Lord that it produces good works. 
that it's not the other way around, that we're doing good things just so that we can get into heaven, but that our relationship with God produces good works and they can see our faith through our works. If you've missed any of those, the greatest thing of technology these days is that they're on YouTube and on Facebook if you want to scroll and look for them. And I know, Dennis put together a podcast too. You got, did you guys know that? There's podcasts too. I know. I'm gonna have to, yo, you guys don't know. We're gonna have to have Dennis come up here one day and show you guys all the media avenues that he has made available so you guys can hear, watch, and see every message. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you again. All right. Today we're gonna come to another important component of Christian living, and it is our speech. Our speech. I saw some eyes already open up. Let's turn. To James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. (laughs) I'm sorry. We're going to get through this. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to brittle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are large and they are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, bird, or reptile, and creature of the sea is tamed. And has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth Fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. All right. So, if we can remember through our journey in James, this is not the first time he mentions speech or words or talking. He mentioned it back in chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 19. He said this. He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to, and slow to get angry. Further in that same chapter, in verse 26, he says this. If you claim to be religious, But don't control your, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Worthless. 
That means you can do all the right things. You can appear the perfect Christian on paper. And if you just can't control your tongue, then all of it is good for nothing, the Word of God says. So, in these 12 verses, James makes three points. I mean, he makes a lot of points, and we'll go through some of them. But there's three main that we'll highlight. And the first one is that many shouldn't be teachers. Wait, what? It doesn't make sense. Don't we want everybody to learn? Don't we want everybody to understand the Bible so then we can teach? Just last Thursday, we had a meeting. I know we didn't have Bible study, but we had a meeting with all those that have taught and perhaps some that, are, that might be teaching the next one. And, and we, were, we were brainstorming and, and uh, reflecting on some past Bible studies. And um, we were saying how we were looking for more teachers, and we were glad that more teachers made themselves available. And so don't we want more teachers? Why would the Bible say that many of us shouldn't be teachers? Well, he says it. Um, not many, you know, many of you shouldn't be teachers because what some people don't understand is that teaching is actually considered a very high level in the church, a lot high level office in the church. First Corinthians uh, 12 and 28, we won't read it, but just so you guys know where it's at, Paul goes down, he makes a list of eight offices and gifts um, uh, that are important in the church. And teaching makes the cut. Apparently, I believe it's number three on the list. Very important. But I still don't get it. Why does he say we shouldn't, many of us shouldn't be teachers? That's like Paul coming up, uh, James coming up like, you know, some of y'all really shouldn't be teaching, right? Yo, how many of us know that, that James, yo, James, Paul, these guys are all gangsters. Peter, they, they're all gangsters. They're, they're, all, they're all straight to the point. Teaching requires diligence. It requires an effort on your end. It requires, that, it requires you to understand that there is much to learn and that you will never know it all. I have lots to learn. I still have lots to learn. I will always have a lot to learn, and I will continue learning because I know that I don't know it all, and I will never know it all. And some of you have already caught me in not knowing because you've asked me a question. I said, you know what, that's a great question. I'll call you later. That is a, that's amazing. You know what? Give me a moment to, to, to research that, to pray a little bit. I, I'll get back to you. Some of you guys have caught me in that. And because, listen, I won't know it all. I won't. And I can't pretend to know it all either because that, makes, that means that, you know, I'm, what, I'm not human? It's, there's diligence involved. You have to learn the Bible. You have to, you know, the theology. And, and, and not only understand that, but learn how do we communicate with how we communicate with, uh, with the, uh, that to someone else. So it's not just learning all this, but then it's how can I say it in a way, how can I teach it in a form that those students will understand what I'm teaching? I have met some amazing people that have the greatest knowledge. I mean, they have almost this memorized. They have a million Bible verses memorized. They know so much, and, and you're like, yo, you got to teach for me. And then you put them, and they just don't. They don't, they don't connect. They don't connect with the class. 
They don't understand how to, how to get it flowing and how to get people involved. And, and so what happens is, it's, you know, maybe that person really isn't a teacher. Maybe he just likes to be a student. A teacher must study carefully and not only study carefully and understand how to relay it, but relay it in a way that doesn't compromise the truth. A teacher, unfortunately, can sway our students' minds. It can lead students the right way, or a teacher can re, uh, lead students the wrong way. A student led in the wrong direction may never recover because some people look up to their professors and their leaders and mentors in such a powerful way, which sometimes we've given them the spot where God belongs in, right? But sometimes they've given these, these, um, these influencers in their life such a, a an influence, allow them to be such an influence that if they're geared in the wrong direction, later down the road, you try to tell them like, oh, well, you know what? The Bible doesn't really, uh, that's, what I, that's what I was taught. That's what I was taught. I'm always going to hold on to that. I'm always going to be that. My professor in college told me this, and that's how it's going to be. Uh, I want to tell you a story um, about a real life, real life situation. And um, I had a, a friend who was on fire for God. And first he accepted Christ, and he got so excited, so passionate for the Lord. You know, he was involved in the arts, spoken word, hip-hop, all that. And, and, and he, they, you know, he began rapping for the Lord, and it was amazing. It was great. I mean, he was, he was talented. He was gifted. You know, he was on fire. It felt like everyone he ran into, he had to tell about God. Like, he, like he just, it was something that he just couldn't contain in it to himself. After some years in his walk, he figured, you know what? I want to further my education and go to a Christian college. Now, there's nothing wrong about Christian college. I encourage if you have an opportunity and you have a choice, then Christian colleges are great. We have two here. We have Messiah and we have Valley Forge. Great colleges. But even in a Christian college, we still need to study the word for ourselves. And I'm going to tell you what happened because of an individual that chose to be swayed by, an, uh, by a professor. So he had a professor that in his style of teaching was almost, um, how do we say, he was uh, diminishing the importance of the church. So, yes, he preached the word, like technically, but in his style and his deliverance, he was diminishing the purpose of gathering and congregating and, in fact, gave this young man a bad taste of the actual church. And so uh, he came back, and, you know, after, after a couple semesters, and I was like, oh, what's up? How are you doing? And um, I noticed that he wasn't attending church anymore. I said, oh, so what's up? You're not, you're not going anymore? Oh, I got to find a new church. I was like, oh, okay. Well, what happened? No, nah, you know, it's too much... It's too much, you know, man-implemented things in the church. I said, oh, okay. Um, so, okay, all right. I'm not going to argue with him. You know, I didn't go to his church, and I don't know what was going on. And he said there was too much things that weren't biblical. And I said, okay, I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to force you to go to an unbiblical church. But then I noticed that his search for a church from one week to two weeks to three months to five months to one year to two years, it never, I mean, it just never happened. And I would still talk to him like, yo, when are you going to find a church? 
you know what? I just still haven't found the right one. I was like, you, you, you do know that there is no perfect church, right? You do know that, you do know that, that God himself isn't in man form standing before a church right now, right? Because we're all human here. I'm human here. I make mistakes. We're not perfect. And so there are going to be things that go wrong sometimes. So he kept looking for a perfect church. The only thing is this. He was led astray by someone who was teaching him. The person put thoughts and ideas that he didn't need to be with other believers as long as he read his Bible. But if you read your Bible, it tells you the importance of being together. So James was definitely referring to that teacher. Like, yo, you shouldn't even be teaching, bro. You shouldn't even be teaching. Also, also, oh, well, the good news is there is good news. 13 years later, I think he just started attending a church. So praise God for that. I hope he doesn't put the pieces together because he lives here. <laughs> also, he's not here. He's not here. But he, come, he could come across the video. Uh, also, some people are attracted to teaching because of the office, because of the position, right? You know, um, in those days, in James's days, a teacher was held at high esteem. They were, like, highly respected. They had clout. They had status. A teacher would walk around knowing that I am the teacher around here. Like, you know, they would walk around with this, with this you know, just this presence. And then they would have their disciples following them. So they had a squad, and they were leading this squad. And not only that, but they were teaching them. They were pouring them, and they were going to do everything that they, the teacher taught them. And so many times there were those that wanted to be teachers, and they wanted to be teachers for all the wrong reasons. They wanted position. They wanted a following. They wanted, uh, you know, to, to be respected in, in, in the, you know, in, in the city, in the community. These were their reasons for teaching. The reasons weren't that they wanted to see their disciples grow in their walk with God. The reasons weren't that they wanted to see men and women get closer to God and, and grow in their relationship. They just wanted to fulfill their selfish ambitions. And for these reasons, James is pretty much saying, <laughs> there's many of you here that should not be teaching. Imagine, imagine if I didn't really care about you guys growing in your walk. First of all, you know how you know if I don't care that I leave you alone. If, I, if, if you guys have gotten a, a call or a text message, well, I can't say that, I can't get to everybody. But there's some of you that, I've, that might be annoyed with me, and it's just that I do care. When I don't see you, if I don't see you participating, because I, I, you know, I, I care, and so <laughs> I'm going to do that. If I didn't care and I only cared about the position, I would just show up and do this. I would just show up and do this. Imagine having a, a leader like that, that really just didn't care about you, would just show up do this, and then sneak out the back. <laughs> sneak out the back, right? He continues to say that many of you guys shouldn't be leading and teaching, teaching because uh, 
they shall receive stricter judgment. It says, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, when we grow in great responsibility, we must expect that we will be the subject of great criticism. Um, we see this every day. You know, uh, people are going to criticize teachers and leaders. They're going to do it. And the more that teacher or leader is exposed, the more criticism there'll be. We see it all the time. I mean, you can go and Google any pastor, any teacher that's famous, and there's going to be some criticism on that teacher or pastor. You know, is it true? Is it not? I mean, sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. But the point is that there is going to be criticism because you're now in a spotlight. Wait, if I stand right here, I'm under the spotlight, right? And everything is seen. Everything I say is heard. And now you can rewind it and listen to it again. So if I say something wrong, it'd be like, and say it, hear it again, hear it again, and then rewind it, and, you know? Everything is subject to criticism from people, but that's not as important to me because people are going to say what they're going to say. And people's criticism of me really, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. It's not, it won't be the first time. However, what matters to me most is receiving a stricter judgment from God. You understand that um, when we... <laughs> God's definitely going to be stricter in judging us because we know. Everyone who teaches the word of God knows better because they know the word of God. And knowing the word of God and yet still doing certain things or yet still having bad motives in the heart is a dangerous place to be. Because one day you will stand before God and he will say, um, yo, you let me down on this. You should have known better. You did know better. Oh, but how about that? No, no, you knew better. And you'll be, it's like being the oldest. It's like being the oldest in the house. Oh my goodness. I, I'm telling you, I'm, yo, all us older children are traumatized. I mean, I know kids these days don't get the discipline styles that we've gotten in our past. But I'm going to tell you right now, the oldest, ch- I feel you. I feel you. I know. You're the oldest. I know how it can be. Yo, it was like, it didn't matter. You could, not, you could be not even in the house. And one of your siblings did something, and it would be like, yo, Sammy, where are you? Well, I was outside. I didn't see what Hannah did. It doesn't matter. You're the biggest sister. You're the biggest sister. It's, it's just being held to a higher standard because you know better. You should know better, and you still allowed it. You know, and going back to people criticizing um, leaders and teachers, many times there's this spirit in the church that, that, that is called jealousy, it's called hating, it's called, you know, envy. And what happens is when people grow in their walk and they become teachers, not everyone is happy for them. And that's something that shouldn't exist in the body of Christ. We should, we should be excited as we see people grow and develop into teachers and leaders. 
and then encourage them and motivate them, right? Give them words of encouragement. You know, I, it was good to hear the, the teachers kind of give each other encouragement on Thursday night. Oh, you could do good on this day, and you guys did great. You know, hearing them encourage one another was, 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 um, was, was amazing. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. If you guys identify any haters in the church, let me know. We'll handle it. <laughs> Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says this. The second half of, of verse 48 says, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, much will be required. Even more will be required. And so we see that this is not just a one-time thing that we read in the Scripture. This is something that we see in the Gospels as well. And, and the fact is that if God has entrusted you with more, he's just going to expect you to do more with that. He's going to hold you up to a higher standard. And I want you guys to understand that. I said, because I know some of us, we want to grow in our walk, but when we grow in our walk and we begin to move into positions of leadership, when we begin to move into positions of teaching, there are going to be some trials and some tribulations and some additional headaches that come our way that we have to deal with in a proper way because now it's not just about you. It's about everyone that's watching you. Okay? And regarding the possibility of leading someone astray, as we mentioned earlier, Luke chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, Jesus has this to say. It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a milestone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. First of all, if you thought the mafia was the first people to tie something to someone's leg and then dump them into the ocean, no, they got it from the Bible, all right? Because the Bible says this. If you guys don't understand what it's saying, it's saying it's better to tie a big heavy rock to someone's neck and throw them into the ocean. Now, what will happen with that person? They will sink to the bottom and die. A drowning death. And yet, that is better than leading someone astray. God is saying, you would enjoy dying that way as opposed to you leading astray one of my children. And then I will handle you. I mean, you ever read that in the Word? How many guys have caught that? So watch yourselves. Yo, that's gangster. I mean, who, 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 who has noticed that one before? Yo, with an exclamation point. Watch yourself. God is like, yo, I'm giving you, I'm giving you a heads up. I don't want to put these hands on you. Just do what I say. You know how people talk with their hands? Just do what I say. And we won't have a problem. God is saying, listen, don't lead any of my people astray or we're going to have a problem, a serious problem. And I'm driving this point because you don't even need to be a teacher to fall into this category. Because right now, remember, we just took this verse from the gospel. Jesus is talking in, in Luke, right? You know, this, so this is not even about what James is telling leaders right now and teachers. He's, Jesus is saying if anyone 
would cause one of my little ones to fall to sin. If you lead any of my children astray, it's going to be bad. Teachers lead by their example, not only by what they, I mean, it's not only by what they teach, or by what they're saying, it's their lifestyle. It's like, I can teach you today, and then you're going to be watching me, and now we can watch everybody, because everybody on Facebook, on Instagram, and all that stuff, so I, I, know, I know how my cousin's doing, and he's in DR, but I know how he's doing, I just watch him on Facebook. They know how we're doing, because they watch us on Facebook. So people are watching you, and if you are a leader, if you are a teacher, if God is calling to be a leader or a teacher, then it's not only by your teaching that you sway people. It's by your lifestyle. It's by your conduct. It's by how you handle yourself, by how you respond to things, right? The world will respond a certain way to certain things, and we as Christians should respond differently. People should see the difference. They should notice that. And then they should ask you, like, yo, why didn't you just punch him right away? Well, that's not how we're supposed to, you know, God showed me grace and mercy. I'm trying to give him another chance. You know, sometimes it opens up the conversation. And you maintain your testimony of being a child of God. Do you think that this warning only applies to teachers? How about parents? Are parents considered teachers? Did you know that your children learn the majority of what they know from you? You are teaching them. You may not sit them down and give them a chalkboard and do that, which I know many of you do. But the thing is that just by how you talk, you're teaching them. By how you respond, you're teaching them. By how you're driving, you're teaching them. Okay? You, we are teaching. Our, they are watching everything and listening to everything. And imagine, imagine if you are the reason why your children are led astray. Imagine if you are the cause for your child not trusting the church, not trusting, you know, not trusting in God, not trusting that, that, that this is real. And, and, and you say, well, I go to church, but then your whole life at home doesn't reflect the relationship. And then your children grow up and saying, okay, I know my parents act like this in church, but then at home they don't. This is, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to be a hypocrite. If they want to, they can, but I don't. And so what happens is you push your child to not want anything to do with the church because as parents, we couldn't remain consistent in our walk with God. Parents, I know that's a, a, that's a heavy load to carry, but our children don't belong to us. That's why it's such a heavy load. Our children belong to God the Father, and he's entrusted them to us to lead them and teach them correctly. And if we lead them astray, watch yourself. If you see in verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways, in many things. 
If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able to control the whole body. James is pretty much echoing the words of, uh, of Paul in Romans uh, 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's saying like, hey, everybody's a sinner. We're all going to sin. We're all going uh, to fall short. But uh, although there's many ways we stumble, James is making a reference and a point to saying that we stumble in word. We stumble in our speech. We stumble in our speech. We stumble when we say things to offend someone unnecessarily because sometimes saying the truth offends. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we say things and we offend someone unnecessarily, sometimes intentionally. I'm talking about when we say things designed to wound another person. And I know that some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, yo, Ruby, you hurt my feelings. I'm going to say some things that are going to make you cry. Just because I'm hurt, I'm going to hurt you. Saying things intended to deceive, we stumble. Well, it's not really a lie. I just didn't tell them the full truth. You know, I was over here. I didn't tell them I was here. I just told them I was in the building. Or, you know, and, or, or, or we say things to deceive people. To make them think different things. We stumble. Saying things that would lead another person astray. And we, we, I'm not going to, listen, it keeps coming up, but I'm not going to keep beating it right now. I just want you guys to know how serious that is. If you're a member of the church and you lead someone astray. If you're a member of your community and you lead someone astray. If you're in your family, you lead someone astray. In your, if you are a teacher and a leader and you lead someone astray. If you are a uh, a, a husband, a high priest of your home, and you lead your family members astray. It's all serious things. Our tendency is to do all those things. You know, we, 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 we stumble in our speech, and so we say all those things. We offend, we deceive, we, we, we hurt, you know, we lead people astray. And these are all things that we have a tendency to do. There's a tendency to do that because you guys all know the second someone hurts your feelings, the first thing you want to do is come right back at them. That's just, it's, 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 the, it's natural. It's the first thing that comes to your mind. It's, the ten, it's our human tendency. It's our fleshly tendency. But James is saying, if you don't have that tendency, then you must be perfect. You must be perfect. And the funny thing is, if you read this and, and you understand the context of all, this is very sarcastic of James. This is a, a very sarcastic uh, uh, statement that James is making because he knows that no one's perfect. The second major point that he makes is that the tongue is small but powerful. Verses 3 to 6, I'll reread it. It says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. We turn their whole body. We look also at the ships. Although they are large and they're driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and is set on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Jesus gives us a, James gives us, James gives us a series of metaphors right now. He gives us a series of metaphors to help us 
understand and, and he and gives us an illustration of the power of the tongue. The first one he says is the horse, a bit in a horse's mouth. You guys understand? You guys been in the campo and the farmer's land? Listen, it's a little metal piece. It goes in their mouth, and that metal piece is attached to the strap that goes around their nose, and it's strapped to the thing, and then that's what eventually you end up holding when you're sitting on them. And when you pull on them, right, it's connected to whatever's in their mouth. And if you pull to the right, the horse goes to the right. Because he doesn't want to, it's bothering him. You pull it to, oh, now y'all realize how cruel that is? I went to Puerto Rico um, early this year in January for my um, anniversary. We went horseback riding. And the guy tells me, he says, you know, when we're getting to the horses, he says, okay, what's the experience level? You know, he's asking every experience level. And, you know, I'm like, I've ridden horses plenty of times. Give me any horse, any horse. And he's like, you sure? And I was like, no, no, seriously, I have. Uh, I've ridden horses. I'm, I know how to do it. He's like, okay, um, get on this horse. I'm like, all right, so I'm on this horse. And Abigail gets her own horse, which was pretty cool and scary at the same time. But it was an ancient horse. I think that horse just had like a couple days left of life. But it was, um, it was amazing to see her by herself on a horse. Uh, and so we all had our own horses, and we're going, and I'm trying to I'm trying to keep the horse because I can know how to control a horse. I'm an experienced rider. And so even though they're trail horses, right, where they're designed to follow the, the, the horse in front of them, I make my horse move a little bit and I kind of keep it back because Abigail is in the back and I want to be near Abigail. I'll kind of keep pulling the horse back. And at one point, the horse goes all the way back and the, the rest of the people keep going. My horse stops. They say, don't let it eat. You know how they say, don't let the horse eat on the trail? And it's eating. So I'm like, all right, that's enough. Let's go. And I, I go to move it. And he's like, you know, I'm going to eat. I'm like, all right, you're being a little stubborn, so come on, a little harder. And he's like, I'm going to eat. And so I, I go to pull the horse, and at that moment, it turned into a rodeo. <laughs> I have ridden horses before, but this was the first time. I was holding on for my life. I mean, literally, it was like the horse was doing the back, all that, and, I'm like, and nobody was there because the head kept going. And I'm all by myself, and I'm holding on to this. I'm like, I'm like holding on. I'm like, yo, Lord, please. And so um, I get him to stop, and what I did, to, the way I got him to stop was to get him to go. So I had to, like, hit him to go forward. But now he took off. And now he's taking off, and I'm catching up to the group, but I'm passing them, Right? And, um, and then, like, I try to hold him, and he finally stops at the front. And I'm like, Whew. So I tell the guy, like, yo, horse, this, you got something. Like, this, I'm telling him everything that I just did. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, what do you mean I'm not sure? Yes, I'm sure. And right there in front of everybody, he goes for round two. And he just starts doing it again. Wow, in front of everybody. And long story short, I traded horses with the instructor. And his horse was better to, to control than the horse that he gave me. But just that little piece is supposed to control your horse. Unless you get a gangster one like that that was like, just don't care. It's supposed to control a whole horse. And you guys know that horses are thousands of pounds. A horse could be a thousand pounds. They're big animals. And something so small can make it turn. Uh, a cruise ship. You guys, I've never been on a cruise ship. I hope to one day soon. But um, I heard that they're humongous. They're huge. 
Like I've, I've boarded a Navy ship one time, and it was amazing. They're, they're huge. And the thing is that all these big and enormous ships, their rudders are tiny compared to the size of the ship. And yet is that tiny rudder that will turn the ship left or right, even if the wind is blowing, right? And he makes another analogy of how a small fire will ignite an entire forest. He's, he's making it a point for us to understand that there's power in small things, and then he, he connects it and saying, well, your tongue is small, but it's powerful. The tongue has much to boast about. It has a powerful effect on people, on the person speaking as well. It can have good effects or negative effects. Like I, my tongue is speaking right now. And it could have a positive effect where later you're like, oh, you know, God spoke. That was great. Or I could say something horrible, and you could say, man, Pastor Vince don't know what he's talking about. And they have a negative effect on me. But the tongue can do that. One word can cause that. It can dramatically enhance the reputation of a gifted speaker or could uh, quickly destroy the reputation and cause damage to a person who is too quick to speak and too careless in what he or she says. Our words have an effect on other people as well. And we all know that. We can tell someone some positive words and they feel encouraged. We can tell um, some negative words and they can be discouraged and walk, the, and walk away downcast. Just like a small fire can cause a huge fire, a person's words can be destructive. We all know that's how gossip is, right? Gossip starts with one little word, one little person, one person, then it goes to the next, and it goes to the next, and it goes to the next, and before you know it, it's a wildfire, and it's out of control. Many moments, good or bad, throughout history usually started with a person using their words to express their views, right? To inspire thousands and cause change. Hitler was considered a great speaker. Hitler was considered a great speaker. And uh, it was through his words that he wooed and swayed the crowds to follow him. And it was through his words that he wooed and swayed the, the, the crowd to then go to war. And it was through his words that because, you know, it was through his words that they went to war, a war that cost the lives over 50 million people. 50 million people over 50 million people dead as a result of a, one man's words and how powerful they were in influencing. And there's many more examples of genocide throughout history, and it all started with one person who said we shouldn't. We shouldn't do this, or we shouldn't do that, or we need to do this. Chat verse 6 points out to us the effects of an undisciplined tongue. Although the tongue is small, it can poison the whole body, and destroy lives, just like a small fire can destroy a forest. Poison in the body of Christ can cause uh, a big problem. You know, uh, it can cause people to go astray, and we already know what the Bible says about that. It can cause people to be confused about the Word of God, and we don't want that as, you know, as, as a body. And what happens is um, it, brings, it, just, it, it brings a confusion to people, and they're trying to grow. Let's look at the third point that he makes. He says, nobody can tame the tongue. 
Verses 7 to 12 say, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God, Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. We can think of certain animals as being trained, trainable. When you think of tamed animals, you think of dogs, most cats. You think of like uh, monkeys, you know, they can train, they're easily trainable. We think of animals like that. We don't go quick to think of like lions and tigers and bears, but they're tameable too. You use them in circuses, in the zoos. They, you know, they, they, they tame those animals too. There are some reptiles that haven't even been trained. You guys seen the alligators, right? Even though we've seen that go pretty bad many times when they put their head in the alligator, right? But they can be tamed too. Even venomous snakes are used, are tamed only so that we can take the serum Uh, to combat the poison. But no matter what, no matter what, our tongue cannot be tamed. Our tongue cannot. If it's it's one thing to tame a wild animal, however, the tongue is an entirely different story. And uh, the verse tells us that nobody can do it. The Bible tells us. Well, pastor, I guess I might as well just keep being the way I'm going to be. Because no one can tame it. I mean, the Bible says it. The Bible says no one can tame it, so I might as well just say what I'm going to say, act how I'm going to act. It doesn't matter. I can't tame it. I mean, some people will take that approach. Our approach should be, well, if it can never be tamed, I'm going to keep on being aware and making a, a, a constant effort to carefully speak, to carefully think before I say things, you know? Uh, to take my time. Remember, be slow to speak. Take my time before I say things. James says that the tongue is not only restless, but it's a restless evil. It's almost as if James is thinking of the tongue like it's an evil presence that sits in us. Imagine. Imagine like, you know, we want to we serve God. We want to we do all the right things. And, and imagine your whole body or your whole body being cleansed of all sin, but your tongue is filthy. This tongue has the, you know, it's uncontrollable. You don't know what it's going to do. Like our children sometimes, like, just don't say anything that's going to embarrass us right now. You don't never know what you're going to get with toddlers sometimes, right? It's like that little evil within us that is bound to raise up, to rise up at any moment, to tarnish our reputation and our witness to Christ. That poison, a little bit of poison. If you guys know, there have been some people in, in, in past battles, ancient battles, that would put poison at the tips of the arrows, or tips of the spear, because if they would, when they would penetrate, the poison would cause like, quicker death, Right? And so what happens is, what happens is this, that just like, just, like, uh, just like that, the words that come out of our mouths have the power 
to cause death. You know that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? I'd rather get into a physical fight. I'd rather, I'd rather get punched than some of the things that people can say to you. Now, I know I just said earlier, hey, people are going to say what they're going to say, because there's not everyone, it's not everyone's going to get to that place. You know, there's only a few people in my life that can say something to me and it actually hurt me where it matters to me. You know, and we all have people like that in our lives. You know, you can be like, Psh, I don't care what anyone in the neighborhood says, or I don't care what anybody at work says, but there's one or two people in your life that if they were to say some things to you, it could shatter your world. It could shatter your world because you really care about what they think. You care about what they, how they feel, and, and you love them, and you've opened yourself to them. And sometimes when things are said, it could be detrimental. So it's a lie to say that words can't hurt you. Words hurt. They scar. They can, they can alter the future. Verse 9 says a blessing is intended to bring good to the recipient. A curse is intended to bring ruin. James is like, <laughs> James is like, don't you see the irony here? James is like, don't you see the, the, the irony here? He's like, we, we are blessing God with our tongues. We open our mouth, we say, we praise you, we love you, this and that. And with the same tongue, we're cursing somebody or we're, we're damning somebody or whatever the case may be. With the same mouth, with the same tongue. James is saying, don't you see that that's wrong? He's like, can't you see there's something wrong with that? That like the same mouth that you give Praises and worship to God is the same mouth that these curses come and, 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 and sin comes out of? He's like, that ought, that not ought to be. He's like, it can't be that way. It can't be that way. How is it possible that good and evil can have a common source? He's like, you can't have good water and bitter water coming out of the same source. It's impossible. You know? And this is another thing. This is why I was saying our children are watching. Imagine they see you at church and you're worshiping, you're praising, you're using your mouth to worship and praise and, and do all the good things at, at church. And then you walk outside and you go home and all of a sudden everything that comes out of your mouth goes contrary to what you just did in, on Sunday service. Let's remember that next time before you yell, speak, scream, remember that from that same mouth, you were just praising and worshiping your God. Now, does it mean you can't confront somebody with some serious issues? No, you can still talk to people. Hey, you know what? This is wrong. I feel this way. You need to stop this or this is wrong and you, this can't continue. This doesn't say that. Discipline can still come out of your mouth. Exhortations can still come out of your mouth. But remember that that same mouth was just praising and worshiping the Lord. It should change the way you react next time. However our tongues may be, however our, tongue, however our tongues are simply, they simply give the expression to the feelings of our hearts and the thoughts of our minds, right? Um, our hearts and minds harbor both good and bad. And Paul he kind of had this battle within himself, right? Within us, we have a good and bad battle going on. Romans 7, 15 and 17 says this. Romans 7, 
15 to 17 says this. It says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that I, what I'm doing is wrong, that shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. It's the sin in me. It's the sin in me. Many of us want to do the right thing, but there's sin in us. And the sin in us creates this battle, this tug of war, where we want to do good, but we end up doing bad. We want to do good, but sometimes we fall short. We want to do good. And this goes back and forth. To begin gaining control of our tongue, and, and this is, this is if, if you're going to just take one thing out of the whole thing, if you're going to gain control of our tongue that cannot be tameable, tamed, our untamable tongue, but to get a better control of your tongue, what you need to do is seek and ask God's help in eliminating the sin that lies within our hearts and mind. There's sin in here. And we need to address it. We need to target it. Because a lot of times you hear it when people talk, when people are, are, are nasty or when it comes. I said, there's pain in there. There's hurt in there. Something happened. And, and, and it wasn't dealt with. It's not, it's not gone yet. And what's happening is it's coming out. And what's happening is when it comes out, you're smelling the rottenness of what's still in there. And so God said, you know, we have to address the sin, address the issues, address the pain, address the hurt if you want to gain control of your tongue. Remember, your tongue is just going to express what's already in here and in here. Let's shift on what we spend too much time watching. Let's listen to, let's listen to more worship music. Let's watch more things. Let's spend more time watching on what's going to edify our spirit. You guys know it. If you guys hear something over and over and over and over again, even without you realizing it, one day you say it. If someone's been playing a song over and over and over again, you're going to be walking to the car humming it and singing it. And you're going to be like, I didn't hear that song. Where did that come from? But you just keep hearing it. So imagine if you are constantly in the Word of God, if you are constantly listening to His Word, uh, worshiping Him and praising Him, if you're constantly watching um, things that are going to edify your spirit, then guess what? You're going to be walking and you're going to start praising and worshiping out of the blue. You're going to start worshiping and praising. You're going to start remembering Scripture. You're going to start doing this. Things are going to happen and you're going to remember something in the Word of God that will be perfect timing right? Because it's not coincidence. We serve a God that's perfect. It's a perfect timing of the things you're going through or the person going through that that you just happen to be in your life and God will now use you to deliver that uh, Bible verse and say, listen, the Word says this. And you can help someone and encourage them. In closing, in closing, in the last verses of our text, James gives us a contrast to illustrate the inappropriateness of a tongue that pronounces both blessing and cursing. He says, can a fig tree, you know, James is just being sarcastic, like a lot. He's like, yo, can you get, can you get, uh, uh, he said, can you get olives from a fig tree? Obviously you can't, obviously you can't. Can you get, can you get uh, figs from a grapevine? Obviously, you can't. 
And uh, he said, you, can you draw fresh water from a salty spring? No. No, you can't. So what does this mean to us? It makes me think of the verse that we read earlier about you can have all the religion in the world, you can have, you do all the right things, you can, you, can, you can just be as perfect as you possibly think you can be. But if your mouth is uncontrollable, if, you're, if your words come out and they're designed to purposely hurt someone and, and destroy someone or curse someone or damn someone, then all that is, is what is good. What good is all that? What good is all that religion? That's what it's worth for the just religion then. I want us to take a moment this morning. Let's take a moment to be honest with ourselves. Because listen, the reason why James puts this, puts this in the scripture is because this is a real situation that the people are struggling with. The believers in his time are struggling with this, and he writes this to address the issue. He's addressing an issue that's real back then, and it's still real today. So let's be honest with ourselves. Some of us are teachers, want to be teachers. And you have to understand that we have a strong responsibility. And let me even change this to say, parents, we have a strong responsibility. People are going to criticize. Even with parents, people are going to criticize your parenting decisions. The only people you have to answer to is God, because those children belong to him. Which those standards are higher than some people's, but they should be. We have to answer to God. So people are going to criticize and find fault. We have to be reminded that God will judge us more strictly, those that are in those positions. Let's be reminded that uh, we need to check our motives if we're going to be teaching. And don't be the one caught leading someone astray. We learned that he makes a powerful point about the tongue being so influential. So what are your words saying today? What are your conversations like? If I was a fly on the wall, if, no, this is better. If, if Jesus was a fly on the wall in your house, would, it be, would he be proud with, with, his, with his children? Would, would he be proud of you guys? Of what he's hearing in the home? Or would he be disappointed in us? I know that the scripture says that the tongue is untamable. Nobody will be perfect, and our tongue will sometimes get us in trouble. 
Some of us will try and we still might say something wrong. But you know why it's good to know this in advance? Because when you do slip and say something wrong, since you are aware that it's wrong, you have an opportunity for repentance. And to go before God and say, man, you're right. You know, I, I, I couldn't control myself and I said this and I shouldn't have. Father, forgive me. And then that should lead to the example of going to the, to the person that we offended and then telling them to forgive, asking them to forgive us. If you guys could stand with me this morning. Our tongue is untamable, but we can control it better if we seek the Lord and ask him to remove the sin and the hurt that is within us. The sin and the hurt that is within us. Lord Jesus, today, today's, uh, we're going we're gonna to have communion today. But before we, before we go to, to that, and so the media team, you know what, just keep it going the whole service. Just keep it going the whole service. But um, this is a perfect opportunity. Because before we come together to join, you know, to, to, to have Holy Communion together as, as a church, we should take some time to reflect and to really go before the Father. And if there's any offenses, we lay it before his feet. If there's people we need to ask forgiveness of, we ask forgiveness of them. And um, it goes hand in hand with sometimes we say things to people that we shouldn't have or, or we think things that we shouldn't have. So we have an opportunity today to repent from that. We have an opportunity today to wipe the slate clean. And yes, it will happen again, perhaps, but then now we can continue to say, Lord, you know, just, I'm sorry, help me, help me with this. Are our tongues, are they blessing or cursing our brothers and sisters? Are they bringing blessing or cursing or curses? This is definitely not, this is, yes, yes, this is definitely not a time to be bashful or prideful or embarrassed. This is a time to say, yo, my tongue, you know, and it, we're not here to cast judgment. We're not here to cast judgment, but we're here to tackle a serious issue. And it's an issue of an untamable tongue. Which means that we've all may have said things that we shouldn't say because I know that the tongue is untamable. So today we want to open up the altar because we want God to help us with this. I'm, I'm inviting you guys to come forward as we pray with you guys that God will help us control our tongue and that we use our tongue for blessing. Father God, right now we just come before you. We thank you for your word. 
Father, the altar is open right now. And, Lord, you know that there are people standing here today, Lord, that, Lord, we struggle. We struggle with how we say things. We struggle of how we speak to people. We struggle, Lord. And, and Lord, we, we don't want to be that way because we love you. And, and, and because we love you, we want you to be proud of us. We want to be a good testimony of you, of who you are. We want others to get closer to you through us and through how we treat them and how we speak to them. And so, Lord, help us speak in a way. Help us speak in a way that glorifies you, that edifies the body. Help us bring unity and not division. Help us bring healing and not pain. Lord, today, I want to just surrender this to you. I want to surrender this to you because I definitely cannot do it on my own. Lord, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are doing a work today. I thank you, Lord, that you are uh, helping control, Lord God, and, and helping us uh, in our speech and how we treat others and how we embrace our brothers and sisters. Lord, you told us today that if we led your little ones astray, that we'd have trouble, that we'd have to deal with you. Help us, Lord, to not be responsible. Help us, Lord, to not lead anyone astray. Give us wisdom. Give us knowledge. Give us the directions and the instructions so that we understand that we're submitting to you and following you. And that others watching us are, getting, are, are seeing the example of a Christ follower. We worship you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.